introversion and the really quiet kid thing. And my whole life, like I've been told by teachers, like you need to speak up, you need to get in there. You need to like, you know, you're smart, but you need to like, <laughs> you need to participate more. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows we're working towards making in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has starred in The Office, Arrested Development, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Superstore, and more. It is the wonderful Greg Warswick. Hey, buddy. Hey. <laughs> what an intro. It's so weird to hear that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like no one has gotten used to hearing an intro about themselves, which I... I feel like is a failing of our society. I feel like as, <laughs> as friends, we should be better about like when you introduce someone, not just their name, but like fun facts and credits and like this person does this and this and they're incredible. But instead we like hear, we like cringe. We're like, no, don't, don't list my accomplishments. I know. I feel like maybe that's indicative that all of these actors or maybe all your friends are just like really weirdly adjusted people who <laughs> have <laughs> self-esteem problems or something. Yeah. I really, I would love to hear an episode where someone's like, oh, thanks. Oh yeah. I love that credit. Like just super confident and secure about it. You know, for you, when did you realize you wanted to like act in it and notably in like comedy? Like was that early in life? Was that later? It was probably like high school-ish, um, which was also when I started doing theater and started performing. And then pretty quickly, um, you know, in our drama program and our extracurricular stuff as well, like we would alternate between dramas and musicals and comedies. And it was like always when that comedy came around, it was like, oh, this is really fun. And this is, I feel like what I'm excelling in and this is a strength of mine. And so yeah, probably like 10th or 11th grade was when the sort of nugget started. And then um, interestingly, like we did a little improv unit in I think 11th grade and that was when it really clicked and it's like, oh, I think I could be really good at this. And then it sort of just like kept going from there. Mm -hmm. What made you feel like you like had a natural bent or a skill for improv? What is it about your personality or your your mind or your acting style I, I don't know I mean I first of all I love talking about improv so I'm like so excited to be doing this with you and yeah it's been really fun to to listen to some of your old episodes back because it's just really interesting to hear everyone else's take on like the this weird art form mm -hmm. um I think I don't know I've been trying to figure this out forever because I'm as we're talking a little bit about before like I'm pretty introverted I was a really shy kid I have always had a huge like fear like debilitating fear of public speaking <laughs> mm -hmm. which is bananas but a lot of actors I think have that so I've heard I was always like paralyzed by doing oral presentations in school and like anytime I had to get up in front of people and I still am that way it's like I if I have to give a speech or something or just 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 perform in any way that's like not me or or is me rather like I get really um I'll like blank and I'll get really scared and stuff and so it really doesn't make sense that I gravitated towards performing and towards improv like I don't know what in 11th grade made me go like oh actually this is easy and I'm kind of enjoying this you know yeah but I I have said maybe it has to do with the character element right like it's like an out-of-body type you get to inhabit somebody else for a moment. And in that way, it's like, I'm not Greg. And so it's easier to just be free and it's easier to be stupid and whatever. And 
I don't know if that's true, but that's always how I've like justified it in my mind. Like, because mm-hmm. it really doesn't make sense, this disconnect of feeling so scared about performing, but then also doing it for a living, you know? Right. It's strange to be like, if someone was like, hey, Greg, can you just give a speech on this? You'd be like, uh, I don't know if I can. But if someone said, hey, Greg, can you pretend to be someone who's giving a speech on this? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, totally. That sounds fine. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Is it a little bit, you feel like a, like, it initially started almost like as a, like a safety, like there's a, not a wall, but like there's a barrier between who you are mm-hmm. and who's on stage. It's like, oh, if people are laughing at or with me, it's fine. Cause it's not actually me. It's, it's For sure. through this sure. vessel. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, particularly in high school, I'm thinking about when I would do like plays and stuff and I would play like a gay character and I wasn't out yet. And it was mm. just a sort of way to like, to be that or to channel that without, you know it's a like you're saying it's like a protective element sort of like this is not me right like it's very similar to me but uh but um, just a character I'm just playing yeah, a role yeah but I, I also don't know I mean the protective thing does make a lot of sense but it's also like I've always been pretty imaginative and pretty like creative for lack of a better term like when I was a kid and, and so I think the improv thing was just a way to access that um in a very just like literal way and I, I think it was just like a new art form that just like let me unlock that a little bit. So I don't know. I don't know how much is this protective shell and how much is just truly like finding a, a medium to channel whatever my weird thoughts. Mm-hmm. When you're performing, what do you think is your like strongest thing you bring? Do you think you bring, I feel like people either bring like they're just like such good actors that it's like, oh, wow, like they can be doing anything. Or is it like, oh, this person is just naturally the funniest person on stage. Like, what do you feel like is like your thing that. Right. I love this. I love that. I love your um, assessment of the assassin thing and the the actor thing. I think I'm much more the actor. I think I have been really successful in just like reacting to things and kind of taking things in and letting, letting myself experience them and, Uh, behave uh, in response to them like Mm -hmm. I do love when I get to do a character thing and I get to sort of just hang back and then put those little things in I guess which is your assassin thing kind of but I don't Mm -hmm. think that I'm super good with like the actual joke element or just or just coming up with like the funny information or whatever being that person I think I I just Mm -hmm. I can um I don't know. I think it comes from a little a character place and a, and an actor place. Mostly. Yeah. You can do a very good like character pop it like a, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like what's needed for the scene, what fits the scene, but just unexpected and fun and original. And like, I've seen Greg do improv many times. And I will say one of your specialties in my book is you're just a very naturally like joyous, compassionate person. And so right. when you perform, it's sort of like, you're that performer when you're in a scene other people want to enter the scene like it's sort Uh of like they just want to be like oh I know it's safe so high school you started kind of getting into improv and acting did you continue in college I did yeah Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I also went to Stanford I was just listening to Danny's episode and we have Mm -hmm. sort of similar paths I mean he was a few years before me but we did have that same teacher Patricia Ryan who was incredible and Mm -hmm. Um, that was sort of the only improv course offered at Stanford, but it was amazing. And I, I majored in English, but I was doing drama department productions like all throughout my time there and discovered improv, I think sophomore year, the class improv and did it. And then 
joined the improv like group, you know, the team and did that. Um, but I was mostly doing like musicals and plays and um, just various drama related things, I guess. Like I would have the chance to do improv occasionally, but it was just sort of sporadic, right? Mm -hmm. And then I worked at the Stanford affiliated summer camp, family camp. And we would perform improv once a week for everybody. And we would do these skits and yada, yada. And that was really, really fun. And at that point, there was a guy from the Groundlings, actually, who was there with his family, who, like, pulled me aside one day and was like, have you ever considered taking Groundlings classes? You should do it. Just mm -hmm. based on your, like, improv performances at this camp, strangely enough. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's, like, what started me down that whole path. But College, yeah, it was mostly about sort of other things with a touch of improv here and there. Mm, okay. And then eventually you made your way to LA, did the ground. Well, I'm from LA, so I came back to LA. Right, right. <laughs> and I was just sort of, you know, I think in college doing all this drama stuff, I made the decision at some point, again, sophomore, junior year, like, I think I want to pursue this professionally somehow, mm -hmm. which I think will be kind of easy for me because I'll just go back home for a few years and live with my parents and see what it's like out there acting wise you know right and so I had this plan to just come back and like try to get an agent and try to just do some auditions and then this groundlings thing started happening at the same time so that was very lucky that it was like a thing to focus on really hard like right when I was out of school mm -hmm. yeah you had a kind of a nice effect that a lot of people out here that we know don't where this is your home base. So yeah. where a lot of people were leaving home and it was like really like fingers crossed, like some support, maybe no support. You were able to be like, okay, you know, worst case, I'm just kind of like back home for a bit. And then I go to like Chicago, New York or wherever else. Exactly. And that's fine. Yeah. Like where other people are like, I'm leaving my town to, yeah. to go do this. But yeah, so you found uh, the Groundlings. What's a character that you develop either there or just throughout your career that you feel really captures your sense of humor well the one that comes to mind is this character that i've done a, a bunch of times and it's basically like a non-verbal sketch it's like i'm um just listening to people and i'm this weirdo who is uh who is between two people on a couch usually and they're kind of hitting it off and i'm just kind of actively listening to both of them and it's a really fun sketch to perform one because I don't have very many lines which I love <laughs> but also it's like I said before like it's like reacting kind of and it's just really like hardcore listening and basing all, everything that I'm doing off of these other people and it came about when I was at a holiday party a few years ago and I was sandwiched between these two a man and a woman who were kind of like vibing and I would just happen to be in the middle and couldn't get out, you know? <laughs> and uh, they were just sort of finding commonalities between them. Oh, you know, this person and, oh, I went here. And, uh, you know, it was that sort of thing, the name game a little bit, but also with this like love connection. And it just struck me as really funny to be that person that's like stuck yeah. there and is trying to like get involved with them, but obviously it's not my business, you know? Yeah. So I wrote a sketch that was like that. And then it just became this thing that I could do a bunch of times where I was just this weirdo inserted into these situations where I shouldn't be. I think it's very relatable as a person, like blown up a little bit, but like we've all had that moment at a party where you're like in the group circle and there's a conversation going that you just can't like double dutch your way into. You just can't yeah. jump into. And you're just kind of going like, yep, nodding. It's a very fun one. And I think what's nice about a character like that and developing that is 
it can be plugged into a lot of situations. There's a lot of moments where it's like, you're really like wrong place, wrong time, just like yeah, yeah. thrown in. I think I also maybe like it a little bit because it, it does feel like it's very much from me. Like it resonates a little bit in the way that I mentioned before, the introversion and the really quiet kid thing. Mm-hmm. And my whole life, like I've been told by teachers, like you need to speak up, you need to get in there. You need to like, you know, you're smart, but you need to like, <laughs> you need to participate more kind of. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was very shy when I was younger as well and hated public speaking and had a speech impediment and all these things. So I was just like, uh, and honestly, yeah, like I hated public speaking. Like you said, if I had to go up in front of a class, cry instantly, I'd start to talk and then I'd cry. And not, like, it was just like, it was a weird thing. Cause I'd be like, I'd be upset. Cause I'd be like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, it wasn't like I was ill-prepared and like, they're going to find out. It was just like some weird thing of maybe being a perfectionist or something like not wanting to mess up. I got over it because after my bar mitzvah, a B'nai mitzvah, me and my sister had it together and I got through all of it. And I was just like, there's nothing going to be harder than that. Wow. That's so cool. That's also so interesting. Like, I feel like I'm very much the same way where perfectionist a little bit and didn't really didn't want to make people upset and like did really well in school because I was just like, I didn't want to, get in trouble ever and like you know people always talk about like why they're a comedian they have these deep emotional wounds or they had these crazy childhoods or whatever and mine was very happy and my parents were always very supportive and and I felt like I had an amazing upbringing and so I I always wonder like what's why what is my like wound or what is the thing and I think it does relate to that Mm -hmm. that like people pleasy or like afraid of confrontation it's just like a certain element of my personality that is a little bit wonky that sounds like maybe yours was too. yeah we ha- it sounds very similar where it's just like I did have a moment especially as I was doing like improv and sketch and certainly stand up where I was thinking like am I not damaged enough to do this totally I've had that because there's like so many people were like oh I did this and this and then eventually I just started like seeing more and more stand-ups I respect and like and thinking about being like it's not about your damage and it's about who you are your point of view what you're bringing to the table making observations but the observational element is key there I think like maybe it's not so much damage but I feel like there has to be something in one's life that makes them a little bit more observant than the normal person in order to do comedy or to pursue you know acting or something like I feel like you just have to have a heightened awareness of like that kind of thing yeah and that's certainly not damage that could that I think is a great tool but mm-hmm. yeah for you it's definitely like your observations come through your reactions like you said like you're just like a very focused listener like wherever that comes from or wherever the like core of that is is sort of like what's helped propel you in comedy and performance mm-hmm. and acting is because you put such a strong like light and focus on the people in the scenes and the people around you and just in life which has probably helped you be like, oh, that's funny. You know, like, this is funny. Like, these things are funny. Now through acting and pursuing this, have you developed for yourself like a definition of success? Not really, I guess. I mean, it's very interesting to think about. Like, I don't think that I've been a very like goals oriented person ever, mm-hmm. which is weird to say, like, considering that I got good grades and I went to Stanford and I started the Groundlings and all this stuff that is very seemingly like goals. But I don't think I ever had like the 
impulse to get straight A's or to even get into Stanford or even to get into the Groundlings. It was always just like this present focus that was more like innate, I think. Like, I don't even think that was something that I like cultivated. It was just like in school, for example, it was like, am I enjoying this class? And if so, like, then I'll work hard in it. And it was always like English and, and like lit classes that I was like really thriving in because I was genuinely interested. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, oh, I got an A in that class, cool. And then similarly, like, God, I'm gonna sound like such a fucking asshole, but it's like even getting into college, like it just sort of happened. Like I applied to like 25 schools being like, I don't know what I wanna do, you know? And then um, most of them I got denied from and then randomly got into Stanford and was like, oh, that's cool. Like I'll go check it out. And then it was amazing. And so then I went there. It wasn't like it was my life stream to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And even Groundlings too, like I said, like I like discovered, even though I grew up here and I'd heard about it, I discovered it because of this guy at the summer camp. And then I started taking classes and I was really enjoying them. And I was really enjoying the people I was meeting and I was like having a lot of fun. And then it was like each level unlocked because of that sort of present thing and so now it's weird because I'm like well what's my goal now like I don't I've never really like had that in mind so I've just been sort of like fumbling along like doing these different things and so success like does seem like it has like certain benchmarks but then I don't know if that's really real you know yeah. like getting an agent or testing for SNL or getting into groundlings with yes, those things do seem like, oh, okay, like these are measurable things that I've gotten and have are, are ways to like say like I'm on the right path or whatever. But yet all those things are in service of something else. Like testing for SNL, it's like, well, I didn't get on SNL, so I didn't get that benchmark, you know? Mm -hmm. And I got an agent, but like, I didn't like book some giant role. So that, you know what I mean? Right. Does make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating because you're, like I always bring up the idea, like there's the external goals, which can be like beneficial and things to work towards, but also detrimental. Cause you could be like, I haven't reached it. I I'm not, you know, successful. I didn't make that goal. I didn't meet that. And your focus, like I said, has been on the present and reacting and following the joy, which I think long-term will lead to a more pleasant life and like a more fulfilling life. Cause like you said, it's sort of like, oh, I like what I'm doing and I happen to be what people would deem successful at it. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm successful and therefore I'm happy. It's, it's the correct formula, I would say, of being like, oh, this person told me about the Groundlings. I'm going to check it out. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to keep doing it. And I keep moving up on what these benchmarks are as opposed to like, I'm in this and I'm going to get there. Yeah, I hope that's the case. Like, I, I think early, early on, like right when I graduated from school, the sort of one goal that I did have, I was like, I'm gonna try this out, this whole acting thing for like maybe five years. And at that point, if I'm still having fun with it, I'll keep going. Mm. But if it's totally miserable, I'll quit. But that's a terrible <laughs> thing to tell yourself because now I've been doing that for decades, right? And like, there have of course been times when it's been awful and I've been not having fun at all but like I'm too entrenched in it now to like quit or whatever or or I am fooling myself and going like oh it's still really fun I'm still enjoying this so I'm just gonna keep doing it and so now I'm in this weird I hear you that's a weird state to be in I feel like though 
you'll know when it's like, oh, it actually isn't fun. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that's that's like the barometer is trustworthy. I I always try to tell myself like when I'm, you know, when there's like that creeping self-doubt or not enjoying it, it's like, I need to see how this feels when things are going very well. Like if I'm like booking and acting and doing a bunch of improv shows and sketch and having a blast and then going, I don't like this. That's when I go, when I'm not doing that stuff and I'm going like, I don't like this, this is terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, cause you're not doing it. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. it's not happening. Yeah, on that, how do you kind of, what's your process? What do you do during, during the kind of inevitable lows in this business? When I'm not performing, which is something that I love to do and that's probably the thing that I love to do most, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, and the pandemic makes me think of this because it's like, oh, like I've been doing a live performing for quite a while. So what happened? Like I just naturally switched to a different like medium kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always done like drawing and illustration and stuff. So I explored a lot more of that during this time and was really grateful for that because that was something that I like was really into as a teenager and as a 20 something, it sort of dwindled a little bit more. And then, so like sort of rediscovering that or like, I did a bunch of like woodworking projects and like ceramics-y things. And so it, it is all under the same umbrella and that I'm like creating stuff, but it's just sort of shifted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is all to say, to answer your question, like it's like hobbies, right? It's like doing other things that make you happy so that when you're like in a dry spell professionally, you're not like, dwelling on the dry spell right like you're like yeah going off and doing other stuff Mm -hmm. easier said than done I guess but I don't know when it's gotten really bad I feel like I've just switched a little bit you know Mm -hmm. like switched to writing more or switched to drawing more or whatever and then try to take a break from one thing and focus on another and then come back to it eventually right where do you fall with the with the idea or have you given thought to Uh, the concept of of being rich and famous. Yeah, I feel like my answer is probably the same as most people on this podcast. Like fame seems totally scary and debilitating and something that like could ruin your life in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Riches seems great. (laughs) Uh, Comfort, you know, on any level of just being able to choose your own projects or buy a house or, you know, just like live comfortably and able to travel and stuff amazing you know Mm -hmm. but the people that I know who have reached like crazy fame and you know can't go to restaurants or get get approached every time they're on a plane or in a public space it's like that seems fun for a second and then really hard right yeah I've said it before but it's just the difference of like autonomy and control like when when you get a lot of money you usually you have the say and how it gets allocated when you're famous you don't have a say in how people deal with your fame or approach you like you yeah. you lose the little bit of the like i mean everyone would love to be rich and famous if they had a hundred percent say on what their fame meant how people dealt with them and it was all great but like you know we there's celebrities who go out and get hounded there's ones that go out and nobody bothers them. and it's just like you just don't know what you'd fall into what would happen uh but speaking of you know someone coming out to hound you it's time 
it's it's time for the amazing segue thank you it's, <laughs> it's time for the uh insult comic uh raz clifford to come take greg down a peg so so come on oh, come on baby. out raz oh raz oh god oh sweet lord greg warswick you're alive oh my god <laughs> i thought you were thrown off a cliff that is oh wait that was just a beautiful dream i had <laughs> now Warswick is a very special last name because it's a combination of the words worst and sick. Both would describe Greg's sense of humor. Ugh. Now Greg's sketch characters are a lot like the coronavirus. Sure, there are variants, but they're all the same and they're just as deadly. Now, Greg, if you had to sum up your acting style in one word, what would it be? Come on. Oh God. Uh, uh... Take your time. Uh, uh, all over the place okay i said one word but sure all over the place (laughs) yeah that that's fitting i personally would have gone with horrible but each their own and i had to give you this all over the place razz boom you've been razzed yeah you got you good all right greg (laughs) get a freaking haircut and don't talk to me all right bye Bye, Raz. Bye, Raz. Great to see you. <laughs> gotcha, <Ow>. good. <laughs> yeah, he really went went for it for the jugular. <laughs> ten years from now, Greg. Ten years from now, what advice do you think he'd give you today? Be proactive. Don't be so lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my downfall. Is I'm just sort of like, it's so hard for me to be uh, focused on like more than one thing at a time. And it's like I know I'm it's obvious that like you achieve success in this business by having your, your hands in a lot of projects at the same time and juggling a lot of different things. And for me, that's really difficult and something I've not like learned to do well Mm. yet, but it's like, I know it is just about working a little harder and being a little less uh, like lax. Gotcha. I feel like there's benefits to being singularly focused on something there's like okay yeah. that's that's what i'm doing and other you feel like anytime you've you've tried to be like i'm gonna kind of be working on a lot of stuff that in a way you don't feel as like positive or as joyous you just feel like you're spread a little thin and being like am i actually doing my best work possible for each of these things or am i just kind of like you know like giving them a couple percentages of greg like do you think there's yeah. a little bit of that there's totally that the spread to thing thing I feel like that really resonates and Mm -hmm. it's like I mentioned before a little bit like just enjoying something and working at it like if there's a project that I'm really excited about I'll like devote all my attention to that and then if there's one that's on the back burner that I'm trying to work on at the same time it's like well I'm excited about this other one so I'm just gonna like let that one like get crappy you know Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. That's something I really need to overcome is how to, how to get excited about more than one thing at a time. Gotcha. I feel like it's a, it's a common thing where I'm sure I could talk and I'm sure you could talk to someone who's like, yeah, I have my hands in a lot of stuff, but like, I wish I could just focus a lot of attention on one of them. And you just go like, oh, interesting. You know, it's the, like the common thing of, you know, you wish you had something of someone else, an attribute of someone else, and they wish they had an attribute of yours. So I wouldn't beat yourself up too much, but I, I hear you on the idea of like, I also, I also feel like everyone to themselves feel they are lazier 
than the outside eyes would see. Like, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, I should be doing more. And someone's looking at you going like, I think you're doing a bunch of stuff. I think you're, think you're doing fantastic work. And you're like, really? I feel like I've just, because no one spends 24 seven with you like you do. So you're like, there was a day where I just kind of sat around <laughs> like, and everyone goes like, oh yeah, I've had those days too. I have a lot of those days though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Where you feel like I'm, I'm racking up a lot of those days. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. The outside eye thing is really important to remember in like all aspects of your life. Like, I always like come home from improv shows and tell my boyfriend Joey, I'm like, oh, it was awful. I did this and this, and it was like really bad. And he's like literally always like, it's much worse to you than I'm sure it was. I'm sure everyone like loved it, you know? And I feel like more often than not, he's right. Like, mm -hmm. especially yeah. in improv, it's like, there's no like, uh, there's no reason to beat yourself up. Like, I've never done an improv show where someone from the audience, someone in the cast went up to me and was just like, you were, you were off tonight. <laughs> like everyone's like, you're great. That was fantastic. And I was like, oh, it's just because it's already such a win just to do it. Yeah. And then if you do it decent, if you have a night where you're just decent, you're getting like a couple good moments and a couple stuff, that's all anyone's going to remember. They're not going to be like, he was just really off his game because it's to ma it's magic to a lot of people watching. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And it's again, just us being so critical of ourselves and mm -hmm. such a dumb trap, but everyone's susceptible to it. Yeah. Over the years, how have you kind of handled that like internal critic like what do you do with that information i don't know just keep going i guess i don't know like mm -hmm. anytime i've had i haven't had too many experiences where i've been like really slammed by the industry you know like i've certainly had auditions that feel awful and i'll leave and be like why am i doing this what's happening you know but i've been lucky that i haven't been like really rocked by too many things I've been cut out of a lot of projects, but I've never been fired from any anything. Yeah, with the idea, I guess, of, of being cut out of projects, like that, I feel like for a lot of people would just be like a death blow or like a bad thing. Like what, what is it about your personality that makes you go like, oh, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, but like, like you said, you keep going. Yeah, I mean, again, everything in retrospect it's like so easy to sit here and go I'm okay with that whatever like in the moment of course it hurts and you feel awful but I do think like I have a pretty like mellow personality and I'm pretty like pretty okay like I understand how the industry works and I understand that like my bit role as the mater d who's like hello sir is like not important to the larger story right so it's like I just get that, yeah, that's a thing that could be cut for time if they're having to slice things, you know? But also mm -hmm. I think like just time and experience, like I got cut out of Bridesmaids and like I also, like, I told that story to some people and I heard that like a shit ton of other people were cut out of Bridesmaids and some people who are like huge celebrities and some people that I really admire. And so that made me go like, oh, it's all right. Like mm -hmm. happens to everybody. And just, I don't know somehow being able to not feel like it's personal like you did something to offend the director or the writer or whatever it's just literally they didn't have time for it and yeah they would have liked to keep it I feel like that's the key thing for any actor is realizing how not personal a lot of this stuff is 
Absolutely. And you'll know when it is like when, yeah. when you're a terrible person or you're causing trouble and it's like, you're getting fired from every job or no one wants to work with you because of who you are. Then it's like, then it is personal. But like you said, like you're booking, you're doing work and there's a myriad of reasons why something gets cut out or you, you know, don't get cast or this or that. And eventually you just have to hit a point mentally where you go, oh, that's not about me as a human being. Mm-hmm. like I think the moment like you know anytime an actor like you do enough auditions you do enough stuff and you just go oh as much as I wish it was about me and I'm so important and the focus is on me you realize like it's not like not it's really really not and like it's kind of like a nice place to be but then like I said there's like that moment you go like oh man I thought I was very important <laughs> <You just> <laughs> yeah you just have to very quickly just like take take any sense of it like being a personal slight to you out of the equation yeah Yeah. but I also think I've been very lucky to like meet a lot of really nice people in this industry and have had some weird experiences where it's like I didn't get the thing or got cut out of the thing or it didn't go my way or whatever but they've like reached out to like in a very human way be like you're really great and we thought your audition was really great and whatever like just some nice things like that have happened a few times and it's very reassuring because you all you hear about Hollywood is that it's cutthroat and it is certainly painful at times but there's been a lot of like real guardian angels I feel like in my career thus far that's really nice and something I don't think gets enough focus is that you know talent's great being good at this hardworking, all those things very important but like being kind being nice being a human being I think long run gets you further like it's just sort of like I always go like all right if I'm not working I don't want to act or do anything in a certain way that's going to keep me from working and the fastest way to do that is to be like well I guess just don't be an asshole don't just be like a shitty person to people like everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, niceness is what gets you the jobs. Most people are like, I, most jobs I get are from like friends of friends or from people yeah. and recommendations and people being like, yeah, this person's a nice person, AKA you want them around. Yeah. Like you're on, like when you're shooting, you could be on set for a long time. And when you're on set with someone who's terrible, the days get much longer. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, Greg, inevitably, when you are a guest on a late night show, what yep. is a story you'd want to tell? Greg was dreading this question. Specifically, I really specifically was. was like, don't don't ask me this. I don't have any stories. And I was like, I doubt that. You have you have stories you just don't know. I have them, but I don't know it. And it becomes very daunting when it's like, just pick any random story from your life and just like, because you you do gravitate towards the sensational, right? The first time doing mushrooms, the first time you whatever mm-hmm. you went to a foreign country and had some crazy experience, and I'm trying right. to like look for more mundane things or whatever. But right. the one that does come to mind, and here I am just being a hypocrite because it is the first time of something. But this is the first and only time I ever broke a bone. I was in kindergarten, and. <laughs> My dad was remodeling our house. My dad is a civil engineer, but he's also done contracting work and architecture stuff. And he's just like a, one of those handy guys who has redesigned his own house and then built it with his bare hands, that kind of thing. Um, so he was, he was adding a second story to our house when I was five or so. 
and uh, he had almost finished. He was just putting the shingles on the roof. So he bought like thousands of shingles from Home Depot or wherever he had just like them lying around everywhere. And he, he created this staircase up to the roof so that he could get up there, but then also like reach down and grab the shingles. So it was like this, I don't know, this giant tower of shingles. And he, for whatever reason, would let my brother and I play on it. So we would climb up the staircase and go up on the roof with him. And we were very young, so that was crazy. <laughs> but um, so one day he was shingling and I was out there by myself just playing on the staircase. And we also had two Great Danes, two giant dogs who would come up the staircase with us. And so I was up there with both dogs and I think the mailman came or somebody outside the, the gate came and scared them. And so they started barking. And so there was this big uh, kerfuffle and one of the dogs like basically pushed me off the staircase mm-hmm. and then that dog fell on me and then the other dog fell on top of that dog. So I was pinned by two Great Danes. I dropped like 20 feet from this, like uh, the roof of my house. Um, the, the Great Danes broke my wrist and my dad, of course, was up there too and was just like horrified that he'd let this happen. And it was, you know, the worst pain I've ever felt and whatever. But the, the nice weird thing about this story is that so in kindergarten, at that time, I was learning like my letters, I was learning how to write. Hmm. And because I broke my left wrist, I'm left-handed, uh, I had to learn how to write with my right hand. And so I became for a brief period ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. And it was like at this point that I was also like, I mean, it was such a developmentally like formative time, right? Like I was learning all these different things. So I became weirdly right-handed in some sports things and left-handed in other things that I had already like started with my left hand. And anyway, yeah, it's uh, all to say that I became uh, super powered from this dog accident. Yeah, this is this is your origin story, becoming yeah. ambidextrous. <laughs> not the like it's you know it's a pretty cool power, but it's not going to be called upon in, in certain no. emergencies. But if they're like, no, it's not served me in any <laughs> any real way in later in life. But are you still ambid? Like, are there still certain things you are dominant yeah. with your? That's what a what an interesting effect that had also yeah. you do you you know have you given thought or do you worry that this was all a big plot by your great danes to to get rid of <laughs> is it, yeah is that's it, never occurred to me but that does seem right yeah the two of them were like we're gonna pretend someone is outside we're gonna we're gonna act <laughs> all scared you gotta shove this kid because he's getting too much of the attention <laughs> Is that a terrible story? That just sort of went nowhere, but no. Oh sorry. my gosh. Let let all that go. This is a great story. It's an endearing one. It's a fun one. It's a really great snapshot of parenting in probably the late 80s, 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just my mom came home from work and was like, I'm sorry, what happened? What did you do? He was where? <laughs> Doing what? Yeah. Our five-year-old son. <laughs> who's maybe up to the like you know, bellies of these dogs. It's just yeah. like, although it did result in such a such an interesting thing. And thankfully, you know, not, not, not a serious injury, still an injury, yeah. but like, also I think it's interesting that this is the only time you've broken a bone, which says a lot about like, I've just, you know, knock on wood and all that stuff. I've only fractured a pinky. <laughs> like, Ooh. I am very much on a similar boat of like, I'm not an adventure seeker in that way. I'm like, 
I don't want to break any bones. I don't want to like deal with totally. like not, not fun. Not just the like initial horrible pain of it, but also just like oh the, the hassle of the cast and all that stuff. Like Ugh, the grossness of the cast. Yeah. No, I feel like if you're not uh, you know, big into sports or skiing or anything like that, it's like you yeah, you shouldn't be breaking bones. Like we're not supposed to be throwing <laughs> ourselves off of stuff. Yeah, I'm not a thrill seeker in that way. I enjoy snowboarding and skiing and like playing sports, but always with the idea of like, everyone just like, let's take your time. <laughs> like, like I was like, oh, I guess I just don't have that like like I'll just get thrashed and killer instinct and like who cares? <laughs> I'm just like this ain't worth it. This isn't worth getting hurt. No. Is there like a mantra you've given yourself this year, a word or a focus or a thing you're kind of like, oh, this will be a good thing to remind myself. I mean, this year I started for real, like writing, like I've always, you know, been writing sketches and short stories and stuff and like short form stuff, I guess. But this year I finally like buckled down and like wrote a pilot and something I'm proud of and like sort of like opening this new chapter yeah. and so I guess related to that it's just like I don't know keep getting interested in stuff right like it was definitely born out of just like a weird fascination I had and then did some research and then uh took a class and then you know like figured it out mm-hmm. so I guess that's kind really a mantra but it's just a sort of thing to keep in mind like good things come when you get interested in things and when you yeah when you pursue weird little threads yeah it's just following the following the joy following the curiosity and following the interest that's a that's a great thing there you go it always comes back to that i guess well greg thanks for hopping on and chatting with me thank you and thanks everyone for listening i'm your host daniel acker and this has been almost almost famous (laughs) Thank you.